0: Hello. Welcome to the Legends of King Arthur and his Knights. Chapter 42, Blood and Tears Just before the quest for the Grail began, evil events occurred at a castle in the Scottish marshes. The Lord, Count Ernol had three sons and a daughter. The sons were wicked through and through, and attacked and killed their sister. The Count tried to drive them from his house, but they rebelled and threw him into prison. They then proceeded to commit every crime in the book. They murdered priests, monks, and abbots, they destroyed churches and abbeys, and they forced their subjects to submit to their will. Before long, the castle, called Castle Castelois, was the most evil place in the kingdom. Galahad, Bors, Percival, and Percival's sister clambered over the rocks and back to their ship. As always, it set sail without guidance. Before long, it came aground at a place near the Scottish marshes. Percival's sister, who does seem to have been a bit of a know-it-all, told the three knights that this was a dangerous place where knights of King Arthur were not welcome. This fact was immediately proven when a youth approached and asked them who they were. When given the answer, he told them they should go away very quickly. He ran back to the castle. The three knights stood their ground and waited. They didn't have to wait long. Ten fully armed knights erupted from the castle and charged. They demanded surrender which, of course, Galahad and his colleagues refused utterly. The battle was fierce, but the three questers were divinely inspired. Galahad and Percival killed one each with their first blows, and then the comrades quickly left another five dead. The survivors scarped back to the castle. The three knights followed and entered the castle courtyard, where they were set upon by the entire male population. It was carnage. Galahad killed over a hundred men with his own hand, while Bors and Percival managed half as many each. When it was clear the three men were stronger and better than any fighters they had ever seen, the remaining men fled. Galahad watched them go, with a worried frown on his face. He turned to his colleagues. This is an evil deed we've done. I need to know the truth about it. I need to know why they attacked and why so many were allowed to die. Ah, Galahad, soothed Bors. I can only believe that God cannot have loved these men. Everything we have done so far was shown that he has chosen us, and mostly you, to do his work. Galahad was not convinced, but was shaken from his gloomy pondering by the entrance of a priest. He told the young man the story of the castle, soothing his concern. Galahad, much relieved, informed his colleagues and together they went below to the dungeon and freed Count Ernal. The poor old man was close to death, but he began to weep with joy when he saw Galahad. Sir, we have waited long for your coming. Now, thank God, you're here. You've released this place from its evil bond and my soul rejoices. Hold me close so that I can die in the arms of a great man. Galahad held the old man and said a prayer. As the life ebbed away from the count, he whispered in Galahad's ear, telling him to go straight to the castle of the maimed king. It was time for King Pelham to be healed of the wound he had received so many years before. These were his last words. Count Ernold died in the arms of the Chosen One. It was a better death than he could possibly have hoped for. Bors, Galahad, Percival and the Lady rode off. As they rode through the Waste Forest, they spotted a white hart attended, quite surprisingly, by four lions. They followed this rather odd combination of mammals into a church, where a hermit was conducting a service. The knights watched in awe, as the heart turned into a man, and then the lions transmogrified into a man, an eagle, a beast a bit like a lion but not a lion, and a calf. The man who had been a heart sat in a resplendent seat by the altar. The other four men and beasts lifted the chair and flew, without really seeming to move, out of a closed window. The glass in the window remained whole. A voice rang out. This represents the birth of Jesus. There was a loud clap of thunder, which caused the four companions to throw themselves to the ground. They gingerly got to their feet, just as the hermit was disrobing after the service. Galahad gabbled an account of what they had seen. The priest smiled. What you have glimpsed is proof that you are good and true and faithful knights. You will see the quest of the grail through to its end. God has shown you the birth of his son, represented by the heart, and the faith of the four evangelists, represented by the changing lions. Only you will ever see this. From this day on, that vision will never be seen by another person. They left the chapel in very good spirits, and continued on towards Corbenwick. Soon after midday, they approached a castle. Too busy to stop, they made to ride past and continue their journey, but they were stopped by a knight. Look, sorry about this, he said, but you can't pass here with a maiden. You must observe the custom of this castle. Ten armed knights emerged from the walls. They were accompanied by a woman carrying a silver dish. They informed Percival, who was arguing furiously with the knight that his sister was going nowhere near the castle, that there really was no option. Every maiden who passed the castle, particularly if she was the daughter of a king and queen, had to observe the custom. And the custom was quite unpleasant. The lady had to have blood taken from her right hand until there was enough to fill the silver dish. The three knights refused utterly and charged at the ten, Ten knights were, of course, no match for the spiritual three. The sixty who rushed out of the castle to reinforce the ten were no match for the three either. A good half of them lay dead before an old man approached. He begged the questers to spend the night in the castle as his guest and then learn the reason for the custom. It would be up to Percival's sister if she wished to partake. She may, he implied, feel differently when she knew what it was all about. The four agreed and ate a fine meal in the castle – Just bread and water for bulls, of course. Then the explanation came. In this castle lies a maiden stricken down with a disfiguring and debilitating disease. A wise man told us the only cure was the blood of a pure maiden. Even better if the maiden was the daughter of a king and queen. We decreed that no maiden could pass this castle without giving the blood that may heal our lady. Now you know the reason for the custom. It's up to you what you do next. The choice, my lady. Is yours, don't do it, urged Galahad. If you do, I doubt you will come out of it alive. I would rather do this than see another battle. She replied quietly, I will submit to the custom the next day. The lady was brought before Percival's sister. The disease had taken its toll on her. her skin was battered and bruised, she could hardly walk and found speech almost impossible. "'Percival's sister bared her arm, and without flinching allowed her vein to be cut and the blood to flow out. "'She spoke a few quiet words to the lady, and then fainted as the blood loss overwhelmed her. "'The basin was full. Galahad and Bors held her up and staunched the bleeding. "'Percival tried to revive her. She opened her eyes very weakly. "'Dear brother, I am dying so this lady may have her health. "'When I have gone from this world, please don't bury my body here.' Embalm it and set it adrift in a boat. Let me go where chance will take me. You must hasten to the city of Saras where you will achieve the quest. When you get there, you will find me. Bury me there in the spiritual place. You must do this because you and Galahad will lie there with me. Tomorrow the three of you must go your separate ways until fate brings you together in the house of the maimed king. This is God's will. Percival, weeping uncontrollably, told her they would do as she asked. Bors sent for a priest who dwelt in a wood nearby. When the holy man arrived, Percival's sister stretched her arms towards heaven. She breathed her last breath and slumped to the ground. Her brother's tears dripped softly from her perfect face. The three knights silently embalmed the body so that it wouldn't decompose. The lady who had received her blood was restored miraculously to health. Bors, Percival and Galahad left the castle carrying the dead lady. At the nearest port they had a boat built which was furnished with finest silk. A fine couch was placed in the centre and Percival's sister was placed gently upon it. The ship was decorated as beautifully as the three knights could manage. Percival composed a letter describing his sister, telling who she was and what she had done. He was the last of them to leave the ship not wanting to say goodbye to the sister he had so recently found. He placed the letter by her head, kissed her softly and rejoined his colleagues. Silently the three knights pushed the boat out and watched it as it floated off into the distance. Bors, Galahad and Percival declared they would never again set foot in the castle that had been responsible for the maiden's death. At least, though, she had died doing something noble. At least, that's what they thought. They thought. They were soon in for a big, unpleasant shock. The knights approached a chapel where they decided to rest. The weather was turning bad. Not an unusual thing in Scotland. Once their horses were stabled, they were sheltered in the chapel and the conditions worsened. Great black storm clouds rolled in, followed by the brightest lightning accompanied by the most deafening thunder. The storm raged all day. Such was its ferocity that the castle they had recently vacated was all but destroyed. More than half of the walls were reduced to rubble. The knights watched as the castle fell. All three felt very uneasy. This looked a lot like divine retribution of some sort. When evening came, the storm retreated and the sky cleared. A wounded knight, obviously fleeing the destruction, ran past the chapel. Another knight and a dwarf were chasing him, clearly intent upon killing him. The pursued knight prayed for help and ran on. Galahad, seeing the distress, announced he was going out to help him. Bors, though, reminded Galahad that he was the chosen one. Rescuing a knight from a single attacker was the work for lesser men. He announced that he would go instead. Galahad acquiesced. Percival and Galahad wished him luck, and he told them to leave the chapel the following morning and go their separate ways. They must adhere to the dying words of Percival's sister. Bors set off in pursuit of the wounded knight and his attackers. Galahad and Percival stayed in the chapel for the night. When the sun came up, curiosity got the better of them. Instead of separating immediately, they headed off towards the newly ruined castle. They were overwhelmed by what they saw. Not a single soul remained alive within the walls. The inner palace had been completely destroyed, and dead knights were strewn around the courtyard. Galahad and Percival realised very quickly that this was definitely divine vengeance. As they were coming to this conclusion, all doubt was removed. A voice echoed over the ruins. This is the vengeance taken for the blood of innocent maidens, which was spilled in this place by the work of a wicked and sinful woman. The two knights realised that Percival's sister had sacrificed herself for nothing, Before long they found the graves of sixty other maidens, including twelve other daughters of kings. The two knights prayed for the souls of the dead and raged at the wickedness of the people who had taken their lives. Still, it was clear the castle was destroyed and the custom was no more. Perhaps it was the death of their companion which had made this happen. If so, then maybe her death had not been entirely in vain. Realising that they could do no more, Sir Galahad took off his helmet Percival did the same. They embraced and agreed it was time to part. Each said that the other was his greatest friend and that they hoped they would be together again soon. With that they rode away in opposite directions. Many, many miles away from the ruined castle, Sir Lancelot of the Lake lamented his fate. He was still stuck between three impossible boundaries. A vast, impenetrable forest stretched away from him in one direction. Huge, primeval rocks rose above him in another and a river formed the third wall of his sunny prison. One night, Lancelot prayed for deliverance, and was rewarded with a voice telling him to board the first boat that he saw. The great man cynically mouthed the knightly equivalent of Duh! and expected nothing. As he opened his eyes, though, he received a profound shock. A bright light, bright as day, beamed towards him. As Lancelot rubbed his eyes, the light faded, and from the same direction drifted a small boat. It floated up to the shore and stopped a few feet from him. Lancelot, by now fully armed, boarded the craft. It was dark and he couldn't see anything, but the boat smelled fresh and sweet. Lancelot was suddenly filled with serenity. He gave thanks and immediately fell asleep. In the morning, he woke up refreshed and hopeful. As he rose, he spotted an exquisitely fashioned couch in the centre of the boat. On it was the embalmed body of a very beautiful young woman. Lancelot approached the couch cautiously and picked up the letter which lay near the maiden's head. He read it and was suddenly alive with happiness. If the words were to be believed, his son Galahad was alive and well. Not only that, he was with Lancelot's cousin Bors and the noble Sir Percival. Lancelot put the letter back near the head of Percival's dead sister and allowed the boat to take him wherever it chose to take him the boat drew in beside a rocky outcrop on which stood a chapel an old man surprised to see the sudden appearance of the strange craft made his way down and asked lancelot who he was lancelot told him and then handed him the letter the old man was amazed to read its contents he was particularly overjoyed to learn the name of the strange sword he commiserated with lancelot that the knight once thought of as the best in the world was not there to see the sword of the strange belt be taken he told him that life would be good for him in the future if he continued to live without sin. Not for the first time, Lancelot solemnly swore to do just that. Just as previously, he probably meant it at the time. He reboarded, and the boat drifted off once more. As it did so, the old man shouted over to Lancelot. When you meet with the noble Sir Galahad, please ask him to pray for me. Lancelot's heart leapt. Could it be true? Was he going to meet his son? The boat drifted along the river for a month. In that time, Lancelot did not eat or drink. Just being on board seemed to sustain him. He never felt hungry and was always in perfect health. After a month, the boat beached on the edge of a forest. As it did so, Lancelot could hear the familiar sound of a horse approaching. A knight appeared close to the shore and seemed to recognise the boat. He waited for its arrival... As the boat drew close to the shore, Lancelot shouted out a greeting. Galahad reeled. He had not expected anyone to be on board the boat. Well, not anybody alive anyway. He asked who it was who had spoken. Lancelot replied he was Sir Lancelot of the Lake. The boat beached and Galahad stepped aboard. He removed his own helmet and grinned the biggest grin he had managed for some time. Father and son wept and held each other close. Then they settled down and told each other of their adventures. Galahad showed his father the sword of the strange belt, and Lancelot marvelled at its splendor. For half a year, Lancelot and Galahad stayed together on the boat as it took them to many strange and wonderful lands. The time they had together made them forget they had been apart for most of their lives. By the time the six months had passed, they were as close as any father and son, before them or after. At Easter time, The boat drifted to shore beneath a cross, which stood by a dense forest. As they moored, a knight in white armour approached them on a brilliant white horse. He addressed himself to Galahad. Sir, you have been a long while with your father. It's now time to leave this boat and complete your adventures. Mount this horse, as beautiful as it is white, and leave here. Galahad turned to Lancelot. Dear father, I don't know if we'll meet again may God protect you. They embraced for the last time. As they did so, a voice rang out from the heavens. It gave them a message they both dreaded to hear. It told them they would not meet again in this life. With tender words and prayers for each other, Lancelot and Galahad parted. The chosen one rode off into the forest on the fine white horse, while Lancelot remained on the boat as it drifted off once more, Another month it drifted until it came to rest below a fine castle. A voice rang out telling Lancelot to disembark and enter the castle where he may get a partial view of what he sought. Lancelot did as he was told. The boat drifted away into the distance as he climbed up to the castle gate. The gate was guarded by two lions. Lancelot drew his sword to fight with them, but as he did so, a flaming hand from the sky struck him hard and a voice rang out. You are a man of little faith. As always, you trust your own arm more than you trust your maker. You are a sorry wretch. You pretend to serve, but you lack faith and trust. Lancelot gave thanks for the rebuke and replaced his sword. He walked into the castle through the gate. The lions stood silently as he just ambled past them. He made his way into the courtyard, and then to the central palace without encountering a soul. It was dark, and Lancelot reckoned it was well past midnight. Still, the absence of people bothered him. He continued unmolested into the palace until he came to a locked door. Some feeling inside him convinced him the Holy Grail was in the room behind the door. He knelt and wept, and then prayed he might be allowed to see the Grail. The door opened. A great light as bright as the sun shone out from the room beyond. Lancelot made to enter the room but a voice told him to go no further. To be closer to the grail was forbidden for a sinner like him. Lancelot stepped back and peered into the room. As his eyes adjusted to the light, he could just see a grail-shaped object covered in a bright red Samite cloth, standing on a silver table. Angels thronged around the grail and an old man knelt before it. It seemed to Lancelot that above the man's outstretched hands were three men, Two of them placed the youngest in the arms of the priest, who raised him aloft. The old man seemed to be having difficulty lifting the other, and Lancelot wanted to go to his aid. Forgetting that he had been told not to enter the room, Lancelot moved towards the silver table. As he did so, he felt a flame-hot puff of wind against his face. As soon as the wind hit him, Lancelot found he was paralysed. He felt hands grab him and pull him away, carry him for a short while and throw him to the ground. Unable to move, Lancelot closed his eyes and stayed where he was thrown for the rest of the night. In the morning, Lancelot was picked up by some inhabitants of the castle and taken to a bed. There was much debate as to whether he was alive or dead. He was entirely still in a very dead sort of way, but he was as warm as the living. After 24 days in his strange coma, Lancelot woke up. He claimed to have seen many glorious things while in his dreamlike state. When he was told he had been asleep for 24 days, Lancelot thought hard. He decided it was God's way of punishing him for 24 years of sin with Guinevere. Once again, he resolved to do better in the future. Once Lancelot had told the inhabitants of the castle who he was, there was great celebration. The local king came to see him. And who was the king? Well, the castle was Corbenic, and the king was King Pelham the maimed king and father of Elaine the mother of Galahad. The king was delighted to see Lancelot, but had to tell him that Elaine had died. Lancelot grieved genuinely for her loss. Over the following five nights, Pelham treated the great knight to some sumptuous feasts. On the fifth evening, there was a knock at the door, followed by a loud voice demanding the door be opened. Pelham looked out of one of the windows and saw a knight mounted very proudly on the finest of warhorses. He shouted down to the knight, that nobody as proudly mounted could enter the castle where the grail was. He told the knight to get lost. The knight turned to go. As he was leaving, Pelham asked him who he was. And who was he? He was, of course, Sir Hector de Maris. The prophecy had come true. He was too proudly mounted to even come close to the grail. When King Pelham told him that his brother Lancelot was in the castle, Hector was beside himself with grief. Still wailing, Hector rode off and was soon back at King Arthur's court. Pelham returned to the dinner table and told Lancelot that it had been his brother at the door. Lancelot wept, making the king regret what he had done. He asked Lancelot to forgive him. Lancelot did so immediately. Pelham had, after all, done the right and proper thing. Lancelot knew it was time to go home, and so he asked for a horse to be brought to him. When his mount arrived, he armed himself and mounted, Lancelot of the Lake left Corbenic and made for home. Before reaching Camelot, Lancelot stopped off at a church to hear the service. As he was leaving, he noticed a fine tomb in the graveyard. He approached it and read the inscription. Here lies King Bagdemagus, slain by Gawain, the nephew of King Arthur. Lancelot frowned, wondering why his best friend had killed a respected colleague. A few days later, Lancelot of the Lake rode into King Arthur's court. The quest for the Holy Grail was, for him, over. He was very surprised to see that very few of the knights had returned. He looked around for Uain and Dinadan and the rest of his old friends. He couldn't see them. Kay, Gawaine and Lionel were there, and Lancelot was very pleased to see that his brother, Sir Hector de Maris, had also made it back. The two embraced and swapped stories of their adventures. After spending many hours with his brother, Lancelot made his way to the dining table, where King Arthur and the other returned knights were sitting down to dinner. Arthur welcomed his finest knight jubilantly, glad that he at least had made it. Lancelot sat down next to Sir Gawain. The two friends, never closer than at that moment, hugged and settled down to chat. As they talked, Lancelot noticed the other Orkney brothers were also present. Lancelot sensed that all was not well in the Orkney clan. Gaheris and Gareth sat a few seats away, joining in the general chatter. Mordred and Agravaine, though, sat on the far side of the table, talking only to each other. This rift, in particular the machinations of Mordred, would be fatal for Camelot. The actions of Sir Mordred had already been fatal for King Bagdemagus. The king had happened upon the youngest of the Orkney clan attacking a young woman, he had fought Mordred to avenge the lady. As they fought, Gawain had ridden by on his way back to Camelot. He saw a knight attacking his brother and so naturally went to his aid. Only when he had killed King Bagdemagus did he realise who it was. Gawain, remorseful about having accidentally killed yet another colleague, had Bagdemagus buried in a fine tomb. It was a shame he never discovered why the king had been attacking his brother. If he had, Maybe some of the future tragedy could have been avoided. Poor Gawain trudged home and discovered that his wife had died while he'd been away questing. All in all, the quest for the Holy Grail had not been good to Sir Gawain of Orkney. Next week, we'll follow the successful conclusion of the quest for the Holy Grail, and we'll see what happens to those who actually manage to achieve it. If you're enjoying this, then please pop to my website, www.mythandhistory2.podbean.com If you have any feedback, then please send me an email, mythandhistory at gmail.com or friend me on Facebook, Paul Vincent Myth and History. Also, please do head on over to www.historypodcasters.com There you will find some more quite excellent history podcasts as well as the highly entertaining History Collage podcast. So, have a great couple of weeks, and I'll speak to you next time.